I know we've been frantically, if you were out yesterday, it was mayhem. I don't know how Black Friday compares to yesterday, but yesterday was crazy. Uh, just one trip to Walmart would uh, send a man into the, uh, into the crazy farm or something. I don't know. Uh, but what, what, what a time of the year. We're all in this gift mode, and next Sunday is the Sunday we're all kind of gearing up for. And, and what a day that's going to be is we're going to continue again. We'll be worshiping Saturday night. We'll be worshiping Sunday morning. And it's just a, a beautiful time of the season to just kind of keep Christ at the center of it all. We've been talking about, though, as we buy all these gifts, wrap all these gifts, give out all these gifts, we've been talking about how that really parallels with the whole gift of the season. And in this time of the year, we're going to be looking at, in a moment, a baptism. In fact, if you're part of our first gathering's baptism, you should go on out to the coffee shop and be hanging out there because Caleb's going to be meeting with you and talking with you about some, some things. But anyway, as this, as this time is and we celebrate the gift of the season, we've really been looking at trying to draw this parallel between the gifts and the gift. The many gifts that we have to choose from that we'll give out on Christmas Day and the, the gift of Christmas and trying to really look at that a little deeply. In first Sunday, we talked about how it fits. There's a gift that fits. Again, when you go out, you look for that gift that fits. Well, we're, we really need to understand Christ as being the gift that fits our life. Fits us where we're at, no matter how broken, no matter how, how bankrupt, or no matter how put together we consider ourselves. That we need to understand that the gift fits. And that's what He is. He's a, he's a fit for our lives. Also, gifts are costly. And that costly element is, is out there. You set a budget and all that kind of stuff. But Christ spared no expense, no expense whatsoever to how he came and what he gave and how he sacrificed. As we read from Philippians, how he was obedient to the point of death, but not only that, but death on a cross, the most inhumane form of corporal of capital punishment that it would be known to man. I mean, it would, it would rival anything. I mean, you would have human rights activists standing up against crucifixions today, but that's what our Savior, our gift the gift gave at Christmas as it, as it marked the beginning of his, his ministry. But also the gift that we give are meaningful. They're meaningful in that, that they give you substance. And Christ gives us substance and He gives us a reason to live, that mission for life. And again, all of these things that we go out and we look for the gift that fits, a costly, a meaningful gift, are all wrapped up in Christ. And then there's, then there's that element of that that, that perfect gift. You want a perfect gift. And you don't always get a perfect gift. And the, the perfect gift is when I think everything lines up. You see it. You find it. You, you wrap it. You, and it doesn't even necessarily have to have all the value to it. It just says so much. It, it's perfect. It fits them for where they are. And it's the perfect gift. And you, again, you may only get a perfect gift once in your lifetime. And I think I thought long and hard this week about my, my years on earth and the gifts that I've been giving and meaningful gifts, some that I, I still have and some that I just remember. All I have are the memories of these great, meaningful, costly gifts that fit me. But perfect gifts. How many perfect gifts have I given, have I received? And, and I'm not trying to be smoogy, smoogy here or anything like that. But I have to think that really... And we were, we were engaged around Christmas time. So when I think about gifts received, gifts given, I have to think back to the fact that 
I dated Lori for five years before we were ever even engaged. And I think back to that, to that, those, those, those years. And, and yeah, we broke up one year when we was in college, and she had to go play the field, and and, and she she loves it when I say that, and, and, and swim in the ocean and see what other fish were out there until she came back and realized I was the catch of the catches, and and, and then finally she came back around a year later. But anyway, so. In that whole process, in that loop of time, we realized we were for each other. We were the fit. We realized that we were meaningful for one another. And so I can remember whenever I knew that I was going to propose to her, and I can remember all the steps to this day. I remember talking to her dad. I can remember thinking about how I'm going to do it. I can remember saving up money for the ring. I can remember all those those processes that I went through. I can remember setting up the restaurant because I asked the restaurant uh, that we had originally went on our very first date if I could have a private room, and which they didn't have any. So they, I was asking for basically a quarter of their restaurant on a Friday night. And I had to convince this manager that I wouldn't be there that long, that I had business to take care of, and, uh, and, and I had it all planned out. And he gave, he gave me a quarter of the restaurant when I quarter it off, music and candlelight. I mean, I planned this for nine months going into this. Had a song picked out. I sang it to her. It was just, it was just this, this evening together. And as we did this, this, this event, as I gave her the ring, and you think about, okay, the event, the proposal, the ring, what was that perfect gift? And, and I really thought about that ring. that ring. She didn't wear that ring anymore. Uh, I got a new ring whenever we had our 10th wedding anniversary. And, and I thought, it's not the ring. It's not the, the, the restaurant's even closed. It was in Fayetteville. It was, it's closed now. It doesn't even exist. Uh, and, and so I, I think about those, those, that was not the gift. The gift was each other, given to each other. The wedding album and the big hair that she had on that day and, 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 and the skinny body that I gave her on that day and, you know, all that's gone, okay? Uh, but what we have is each other. And I thought, that's, that's the gift. That's, I mean, again, <laughs> it is what it is. It may not be much, but it is what it is. And so that's the gift we, we gave each other some 22 years ago in a few days. And I, I'm thinking about the gift of Christmas. Again, you may only get that one perfect priceless gift once in your life. And I want to say that Jesus Christ is that perfect, priceless, timeless gift that will never expire and that will, that will always be there and will always have that meaning. That's what makes Him the perfect gift, well past the tinsel and the trees and all the other synthetic gifts and plastics that we give away at Christmas time. I want to take you in Galatians chapter 4 to a popular passage of Scripture as far as what Lori said just a few moments ago. In that it's not probably the most popular passage of scripture you would find on the Christmas time. It was popular probably most of the first century because it's probably one of the most densely packaged theological treaties of Paul's writings. In a matter of three or so verses, he packs in some kind of densely packaged way a full theological statement. And probably next to Romans, the most doctrinal, intensely 
hard to understand, but yet need to understand it, books of the New Testament is the book of Galatians. And out of all of Galatians, you want to go to the most densely substantive verses of Scripture, we're looking at them today. And so there's no way in heaven that I'm going to be able to do justice to this passage. But we really understand the value of these statements. And the reason I say it was popular probably in the first century is because we have scriptures all through our Bibles. We have paper that we throw. They didn't have paper. They didn't have copy machines. They didn't have any of that kind of stuff. And so in this oral culture, they had to rely on creeds, on certain doctrinal statements in a very succinct manner that you as a believer could adopt and memorize and download into your life. And you would say, this is what I believe. This is it. In a nutshell, in a sentence, in a, in a paragraph, this is what I believe. And many believers would recite them. They would make them a part of their worship liturgies. Uh, they, they, would, they would actually sing them in, in chorus. And we don't know that this passage was a, a song or a, a, a doxology or anything like that. But we do believe it was a very much a creedal statement of the early church. And so just, just understand the, the impact and the meaning of, this, of these verses. And so... Let's begin reading in verse 4 of chapter 4 of the book of Galatians. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That section of Scripture, if you wanted to adopt a creed, if you wanted to get down to a very succinct statement of who Christ is, what we believe about Him, what was He about, you got it right there. And what does He do to affect a change? And what does He bring to our life? What is the gift? Notice that last statement, that then you are heirs through God. How big is your gift? How, what's the price tag on your gift? How big is heaven? How wealthy is heaven? There is no, there's no end to that, to that exchange. There's, 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 there's no way you can put value completely on that. But when you come to the, the Christmas story then, and you come to Christ, and you unwrap Him as the perfect gift from God given to us, what do you see? What's the, what's the perfection that we see in this? I want, to, I want us to see several things. One, one is, I want you to see that, that it was perfect. It was a perfect Advent that happens here. And Advent, we, we talk about Advent at Christmas time as, as the coming. It's the coming, the, that perfect coming of time and of our Savior. Now, we know, I think, in our culture, the value of time. We live on time. We, we, uh, spend our lives living on time, we wake up on time, we go to bed on time, we eat our meals uh, on time, we sleep based on time, we go to work based on a clock. All of this based on the clock. We retire on a clock, and what do they do, what do they give you when you retire? A clock. You know, it's kind of like everything we have in our culture is based on time and calendars. We understand the value of time. Sometimes we wonder if God understands the value of time. Whenever I'm wanting an answer to a prayer and God doesn't seem to be answering it according to my desires and the time, then I think, God, are you on my, do you realize I have a deadline over here? And I think God laughs. 
Because if anybody can tell time, he created time. He understands time. He lives beyond time. But he also operates in time. Because it says in, in that verse that we just read in verse 4, it says, but in the fullness of time. Time being very important in our, in, our, in, our, in our culture. And understanding that time is important. The University of Maryland did a study back in January of 2006. It was published in Money Magazine. And it says that the average American spends per day 7.9 hours each day sleeping, 5.5 hours working, 2.3 hours watching TV, 1 hour eating, 49 minutes washing and grooming, 47 minutes visiting by the phone or in person, 10 minutes relaxing and thinking, and 7 minutes in religious experience practices. Think about that. I mean, you can break down your day. How does it look like in time? And how much of your time is devoted to this and to that? Napoleon, in his conquering mentality, said, I beat the Austrians because they did not know the value of five minutes. Time. We live in time. We operate by time. God understands time. He lives in time. He's beyond time, but He operates in time. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, it says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter. Even Paul knew and when he talked about your own personal experience and relationship with God, he understood the value of time. When it says in the Living Bible, it says, Right now, God is ready to welcome you today. He is ready to save you. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day He's ready. God, again, He is beyond time, but He operates in time. And one of those examples of that is how He came in the fullness of time. I don't know that we can fully appreciate that. What what do you mean God came, God sent His Son in the fullness of time? But there there was a time in which in God's infinite wisdom and planning and His sovereignty, He knew at this time he would send his son. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't that Jesus evolved into deity. There was a time in which he was to come. There was a time in which he was to be upon the earth. In the fullness of time, a lot of scholars have tried to figure that out. What did it mean, the fullness of time? And there's several reasons that people have given. The Pax Romana is one of those that in, in the in the times uh, that which he was living under the Roman Empire, in which he came from 27 to 180 A.D., about 207 years there, it was peace pretty much on the earth. There wasn't war. It was a good time to come. It was a peaceful time. Rome ruled. Rome controlled the world. Until Marcus Aurelius' death, it was pretty much a peaceful time under the Roman thumb, if you will. The second was there was a very common language of the time. Greek was spoken from all the known world of that day. Greek was the English, the lingua franca of that day. It was the, 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 the language of, of the times. Urbanization began during that time. And the fact that people began to move from the countrysides into cities, and cities were born. But more than all of those elements of history, it was part of God's plan. It was part of God's plan in His time. That on this time, on this, on this continuum here, that God would be born at this time. And he predicted it 500 years prior to this. You can read it for yourself in in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. When he talks about in that time that it would be. Now what is the importance of that time? You think about it. It it, It's like baking a cake. You take a cake out too early, it's not exactly edible. You take it out too late, you feed it to the dogs. You know, you you got that period of time 
when it's time to take the, the cake out of the oven. That period of time in which God came into this world. It was the perfect time. It was the right time. And you notice if you look back at verse 1 to 3 in this chapter, he says, I mean that, that the heir, and he uses this metaphor of an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. No different from a slave. He's just one of the another mouth to be fed. He's just a, another worker in the fields. He's, he's, he's just that. That's all a child is in this culture, in the Roman culture at this time. So he is, he is an owner uh, of, uh, excuse me, though he's an owner of everything. But he, under the guardians and the managers, until the date set by the Father. And I want to just say that what happened on that Christmas day, and I don't believe it was December 25th, but whenever it happened, whenever that day came, all of a sudden, we went from just being a common slave, slave to sin, just a common person in this world, when God entered into time, in the fullness of time, and He came down to time, and He lived among us in time, He operated and functioned in time. That was the time that God began to make us not slaves, but His children. Began the process of not just making us one of the workers in the field, just one of the, one of the slaves to sin, but He actually began to redeem us and began this redemption process. And that's why we celebrate. Not for the gifts, not for the family time, not for all the eats, but for the time and the person and the perfect gift of Him. Also, there was a perfect atonement that came into play. That perfect atonement when He came, and it says in verse 4, and you look there with me, uh, just follow along, He says, the fullness of time had come. God sent forth His Son. Well, what happened? He was born of, born of a woman. I don't think that's a small statement there. He was born of a woman. What does that mean? The fact is that Jesus was virgin born. He wasn't just born of Joseph and Mary coming together. He was born of a woman, not of a man. And that is very key. You can skip over that one phrase so quickly. But it's very key because it's believed that the sinful nature of man is passed down through man. And it was important that he would not be born of man, but he would be born of woman, conceived of the Holy Spirit, putting uh, a, a seed inside of, of, uh, of young Mary. Because it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, it says, In Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. See, through the seed of Adam, every person is born into sin. Your children, perfect as they may be, singing on this stage, are born of Adam. You as perfect of a person as you may be, are born of Adam. Every one of us, born, your parents, born, grandparents, born of Adam. All born of Adam. But this person, this person being Jesus, was born of a woman, not of Adam. Very important. But also not only that, you go on to verse 4, it says, God sent forth His Son, born, born of a woman, born under the law. Under the law. Now the law is it. Important to understand because the law was that element that which God gave us to keep us straight. God gave us because we had already jacked up this world pretty good. In fact, we jacked it up with Adam and Eve and then immediately they're, the, the next generation, they're killing off their siblings. Read the story. I mean, we can mess up something so quickly, God, by the time Noah came around, he was ready to wipe the world out and start all over. I mean, again, you just realize how we can digress so quickly in this world. And what God did is He gave us the law 
And that law is meant to guide us. The law was given to us to give us morals and to give us, to give us standards and values to live by. It was, it was given to us. So, I mean, you think about divorce, and God hates divorce, and I understand all that. But, but it says in, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 8, it says, Because of the hardness, the heart of Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. I mean, you can pick any sin out there. Why, why do we have the law? We have the law because man messes up. We have a law because we have a stubborn heart. We have a law because we break these things. And divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Lying is not the... There's no... No. Lying, stealing, cheating. The, listen, all that can be forgiven because of the gift. But the law was given, hopefully, that we might have some sense of direction. In fact, you can just kind of jot this down. The law was given to steer us, not to save us. It's given to steer us, not to save us. Notice again what he said. He was born under the law. I mean, he was born into, the, into, the, into this world where there was parameters and there were guardrails. But those guardrails aren't going to keep you. You can still go over the guardrail. They can only help steer you. But truly what he did is he came to redeem us. Redeem us under the law. To buy us back from our sinful nature. To make us whole. Again, the gift of Christmas is to make us complete. In Psalm 107, verse 2. It says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Now in a moment, we're going to have some folks get into the baptistry here, and they're going to state a statement just by the mere fact of their baptism that they're doing what it says in Psalm 107 verse 2 that they are declaring let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble God is in the redemption business he wants to redeem you and whether you're a child or you're an adult in this line tonight today we celebrate your redemption Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Isn't that awesome? Give it another round of applause. See, the Christmas story isn't complete by a babe in a manger and Jesus simply coming at an appointed time. It's actually it's not complete until the redemption of mankind takes place. Because that, that's, that's, that's why He came. And we, we celebrated in the... In the, in the sharing and the observing of this. And so it's that, it's that perfect timing, it's that advent of Him, and it's that perfect atonement that only He could do. Nobody else could do it. And then there's the, there's the perfect adoption that happens. That perfect adoption happens because when you go back to the passage there, you can't miss it. You see, you see the, the Godhead, the, the Trinity, all working in this beautiful unison. In verse 4, it, it, it said, Again, go back there. It says, In the fullness of time uh, had come God, the Father, sent forth His Son, Jesus Christ. And then, if you skip down to, to verse 6, it says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, 
And so we have the Trinity of God, though all in one, three, three in one, all coming and expressing themselves in their beautiful fashion, all in one effort here to redeem and to adopt, to atone for and to bring us into His beautiful family. It, it, it is absolutely amazing. And again, as you look at that passage, because it goes on to say, and he says, we can call him crying out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. So that you are no longer slaves, but you are a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And see, that's what God does in us, through us, is that He sends His Son. His Son comes at that right time. He atones for us. But it's not just simply to redeem us and to set us back into the world. But He redeems us and He's adopting us, bringing us into His inheritance. Bringing us into this relationship that is so powerful and so beautiful and never-ending. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, it says, To all... To all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. Born of God. Now let that wow you, please. Let that just kind of soak into you, because I know when we sit here and we talk about God's our Abba Father, we talk about him being our our adopted father. Some of us, I I know, and I can, I'm, I'm tracking with you, is that your soul, you, you can identify with that. Either you had an abusive father, you didn't have a father, an absentee father, an overly aggressive father, or, you know, you had a great father. I, I don't know, but he was not perfect. And sometimes we just don't even have, we don't even have room in our soul for that. So when I say that, that Jesus Christ he wants to be your Abba Father. He wants to be your Daddy Daddy. He, he, he wants to, yeah, fix the problems of a wrecked up life, redeeming us. But He wants to be in an intimate relationship with you and with me. That's a beautiful picture in the adoption of that. I mean, I'll, you almost need to kind of picture yourself living in, a, in an African country, and an impoverished country, where, where probably more people die by the time they reach late 30s, early 40s. And think about that, late 30s, early 40s, where do you have? You have children at home. And how, again, not only will you might lose a father, but you might also lose a mother. Because obviously AIDS, the way it passes, is very common. If you didn't die of malaria, if you didn't die of cholera, if you didn't die of some other African disease, that you could literally have children four, five, six, seven, eight years old, multiple ones, and all of a sudden not have a father. I have a mother. How then, when you go into this village and you start talking to them about, hey, your father loves you and he wants to be your, your father, and they go, what's a father? I don't know what a father looks like. And our, and our church gets this. They get this. Seventeen families in our church are getting this to the point that we're, they're either in foster care, they're in adoption uh, processes and helping out children that are without. But I want to close out our message today by introducing you to some people that are in one of these African nations of Zambia that are doing this very work. They're stepping into little boys, two, three, four, five, little girls, three, four, five, six, years of age, where they don't have a father and they don't have a mother. 
and they're just embracing them. And this coming Christmas uh, Eve, next week, literally next Saturday and next Sunday, we're going to take up an offering, and a third of that offering will go to help the New Day Orphanage in Zambia. But I just want to close out this message, and I just want you to just walk out of here today realizing that the Christmas story is not just merely to be told, it's to be lived. It's to be lived in your own heart, that Jesus Christ came at a perfect time, as a perfect sacrifice, an atonement for us, and He's a perfect adoptive Father who will accept us and embrace us. But I want us to go out from here more than that. I want us to go out living it. And I want to introduce you, Boo and Darby Tidwell, as they are living the Christmas story in Africa. Watch this video. On a typical day, this child will wake up and get ready for school. The morning starts with excitement as she experiences the joy of brushing her teeth. Seriously, we're not making this up. The kids love brushing their teeth. Then it's off to the dining room for breakfast, and if there's no school, they'll get out and do some chores before heading out to play. On not-so-lucky days, they'll get the typical school kid treatment. Math, English, science, Bible, Tonga, handwriting, and of course, the all-important recess. School ends promptly at noon, and after lunch, they'll do what all kids do. They'll ride a bicycle with three people on at one time. They'll make clay cell phones and ox carts, do random dances, collect firewood, jump in holes, jump out of trees, jump on a trampoline. In short, this child is just a kid growing up in a safe environment surrounded by Christian influences. After the bath water is heated, they'll bathe and then spend time listening to a story told by Margaret, the house mother. The night ends by climbing into a bunk bed, tossing stuffed animals to the ground because they're frightened by it, and settling into a good night's sleep. You guys may be thinking as you watch that, um, this just looks like a normal everyday life for any kid, and you would be exactly right. What's missing are the extraordinary things that are so common for other kids in Zambia, such as hunger, abuse, cold. Now, those are things that they used to know. In the former lives of these kids, wondering whether or not you were going to get enough to eat was a real concern. Or going to bed at night. Some of you have been to Zambia during the wintertime when it's really cold and not having a blanket. These are things that the kids know and have known. But as they come to New Day Orphanage, what we want to do for these kids is give them the opportunity to grow up with a normal life. A normal life, of course, being that they have the chance to hear about Jesus Christ, to understand that he loves them, to be given an education so that they can succeed in life, and also to keep aspects of their culture where they can relate with their fellow countrymen. Because our ultimate goal for these kids at New Day Orphanage, we're not adopting them out with international adoptions and things. What we are is raising these kids up to understand what it means um, what the gospel means to them and so that they can grow up and become leaders in their community and help reach fellow Zambians for Christ. And we want to share with you quickly a story of one of our boys named Sankwa. And this is how we got Sankwa, how he came to New Day. Um, we received a phone call from a social welfare agency close to us and they said, we have two young boys that have no place to go. Can you come get them? And so Blue went and they were there with um, a, a woman who identified herself as their grandmother and a woman who said she was their aunt. And they looked like you would imagine 
African orphans to look. They were filthy and sores on their heads and just looked um, like they weren't doing very well. And so um, the social welfare officer said, well, what are the boys' names? And the grandma said, well, this is Meshach and this is, what's your name? And the boy just looked down. And so the aunt jumped in and she said, oh, um, Sankwa, we call him Sankwa. And Sankwa is the Tonga word for boy. It just means boy. And so the social welfare officer said, well, that's not a name. That just means boy. What's his name? And the aunt just shrugged her shoulders and the boy just looked down. Now, the definition of an orphan is someone without position or protection. You talk about someone without position or protection, that was Sankwa. Within his own extended family, he didn't even have a name. And it's neat for us because in the five minutes that it took to sign him over to New Day Orphanage Custody, um, his life was changed radically and forever. And so we get to take them to the store and buy them food and clothes and take them back to New Day. And, and in that course of five minutes, you know, we get to give them things. Um, they get to receive things that are able to change their lives. I want to read something. You talk about uh, scriptures that aren't normally associated with Christmas time. Here's one. Um, when we think about Sanqua, from James chapter 1, verse 21, it says this, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And Mike was exactly right in comparing our relationship with Christ to that of an orphan living in some rural area of Africa and being adopted into a family. Because this verse right here isn't, isn't directed towards Sanqua. Or a kid living in Zambia saying, come out of the filthiness, come out of the wickedness and receive things that are able to save you. Instead, it's directed at each of us here this morning. Because we don't have to stay in the filthiness or the wickedness that we have been living in. Because Jesus Christ comes along, and a lot like what we get to do with these kids at New Day Orphanage, He comes along and He sees us. And in the few moments that it takes for us to realize our need for Him and place our faith in Him, then our lives are then changed radically and forever. And so at New Day, we feel especially privileged because we get, to, we get to see firsthand and up close a reminder and a great picture of what Jesus Christ does for us. And uh, when we begin to view ourselves like that, when we begin to see ourselves as, you know what, my life once was like an orphan living in Africa. I was without hope. I was destitute. I had nowhere to go. And then Jesus Christ came along and changed me and set me and gave me a life that is so much better than anything I could have ever imagined. When I begin to view my life like that, then it changes the way that I want to live my life. And it changes what I want to do from going forward with that. And so as, uh, as um, workers at New Day Orphanage, we're ex especially privileged to be able to have that example before us every day. We want to quickly just share with you ways that Grace Point can continue to help us at New Day. Um, because whether you realize it or not, Grace Point has been instrumental in the beginning of New Day Orphanage. Um, you sent teams. You sent our first team, actually, in tents before you even know, knew who we were or knew that New Day Orphanage was going to even work. And so um, as a thank you, we have in the back, we brought you a Noah's Ark that's carved from Zambia. Um, check it out because apparently um, in Noah's day, the ducks were bigger than the elephants, according to Zambians. So it's fascinating. Um, but really, there's three, three ways that Grace Point can continue to help us. And the first is, of course, to pray. Um, we are just humbled when people tell us, I've prayed for you. I have your picture on our fridge, and we pray for you every time we see it. We have prayer cards back there that you can take, and it can remind you to pray for us. But while we have you here, we can share a couple of specifics. Um, first of all, for the health and safety of our children. Um, two of our eight orphans are HIV positive. Um, one of our boys, Muchoni, he has what's called bilharzia, which is a worm that's gotten into his bladder, and it's just 
wreaking havoc on his system, and he's been really sick. So, um, and then our own kids, you know, live there. And anytime you're living in a third world country, you know, there's health and safety concerns. Um, so that's the first one. And then the second one is we are building our second orphan house. We hope to be done by March so we can take eight more children. So we need a godly Zambian woman to come and live in that house. And so we would ask that you would, um, that God would just drop her into our laps and that she would be there to help us raise those kids. In each of our orphan houses, there's, uh, there's eight children that live. So currently we have eight orphans who are living out at New Day Orphanage. Eventually, we plan to have anywhere between 80 and 100 children living out there. So, um, but prayer is, is definitely something that we covet from you guys. The second way is, of course, by giving uh, to the orphanage. And uh, I'll be honest with you, Darby and I are just really not that good at asking people for money. We, uh, we figured that God knows the needs of orphans living in Africa, and he'll put it on people's hearts to give. Um, but we do want you to know that New Day Orphanage is a nonprofit organization that requires ongoing support to continue its operations. Um, so you can, if you want some more information about supporting us, I know you guys are with the, with the Christmas offering, which we thank you so much um, for that. Um, but if you're interested in supporting us, um, there's some information at the Go table. Some upcoming things that we're doing, we're trying to figure out how we can cart around all these kids. So we're, we're looking into purchasing a 15-passenger van. We're also completing our second orphan house so that we can, we can take some kids in. And uh, we're building a corral right now because whenever we get back in January, Darby's learning how to milk some cows. <laughs> and so. We'll see about that. <laughs> And of course, the last thing you can do, which Grace Point has already done twice, is to go. Um, there's some pictures of some Grace Point people on teams, and um, we are pretty full for 2012. We have a few slots open at, towards the end of the year, and then we're already planning for 2013. So um, that's another way that you can come minister at New Day using your own gifts and talents and abilities. So three ways to get involved is praying and giving and going. But let's not get distracted from what's happening here today, though, because Jesus Christ calls each one of us. And he offers us life and hope and gives us something that is so much better than anything we could have imagined on our own. He comes to us just like an orphan living in Africa and he's come to save us. And whether you're realizing that for the first time this morning or you've known that um, for, a, for a while in your life, the truth of the matter is this, this realization that we are a lot like orphans and that Christ came along and saved us, that truth should shape the rest of our life and impact our future. That's what we're about at New Day Orphanage, and we firmly believe that's what we all should be about, whether we're in Zambia or even right here in Arkansas. So we just want to encourage you to, to not forget that this Christmas season. So thank you so much for, for listening to the Orphanage, and God bless you.